Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney, are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Habs Unfiltered. Uh, this week, Matt and I are going to be joined by none other than Eric Angles of Sportsnet. And as promised, we are going to announce our winner of the No Name Hockey $50 gift card. Uh, we reached our goals and we want to thank everybody who's following us, everybody who's listening to us. So without further ado, I'd like to announce that Mathieu MMTL has won the $50 gift card from No Name Hockey. Uh, Habs Unfilter is going to be contacting you via DM on Twitter. Uh, for everyone who uh, joined into the contest, we thank you. Uh, we appreciate your enthusiasm for our content and for the Canadians, um, especially those who added fans of the Leafs. Uh, way to troll, boys. Way to troll. Now, don't get discouraged. We will be having more contests and more interactions with you as the year goes on. It's the off season. We're going to take some time to ease back and relax, but that doesn't mean there won't be more content. So, uh, on that note, after this break, Eric Engels will be joining us. Stick around. Are you in the market for quality sticks and equipment you can afford? There is a no-frills, no-nonsense company that wants to provide that to you, No Name Hockey. No Name Hockey is a small Canadian company started by former pro player Jason Goulet. When he retired, he searched for sticks that felt like when he was a pro but could never find the right one or one that was reasonably priced. So he decided to start No Name Hockey. Now No Name offers high-quality, customized sticks at a fair price. They won't try to wow you with a fancy name. They will focus on providing you a pro-stock quality stick that you can afford. The cost of sticks has gone through the roof due to sponsorships and licensing fees. No Name Hockey makes sticks for the No Names and players currently making a name. And welcome to Habs Unfiltered. We are joined now by our special guest, Eric Engels of Sportsnet. How are you doing, Eric? I'm doing great, fellas. How are you guys doing? I'm doing fine. Matt? Looks like to have a day off. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> which, which brings up the point, Eric. Uh, now that the Canadians are done, does that mean you're, uh, you, you're getting a holiday? Uh, I think it'll be a bit of time before we lighten up the load a little. There's plenty of stuff to dissect from the season and this playoff run we just watched. So there will be a number of columns coming out over the next couple of weeks, Canadians related, of course, that thought today, and I urge you guys and your listeners to, to tune in. Um, but otherwise, yeah, at some point here, we'll, we'll bite down a little bit, but let baseball and, and basketball do their thing and, and watch the rest. Well, I'm looking forward to everything uh, 
everything you have planned. Uh, I know Matt is as well. He, Absolutely. Yeah. And um, we uh, we may as well just dive right in because there is a lot that happened. Uh, so my first question would be, what was it like for you and the players in the bubble? Well, I can't speak specifically to what it was like for the players in the bubble because I wasn't there with them. But, you know, I was attending games, uh, being allowed into games by the NHL. And, you know, I, at first I was wondering if there was true value in being there considering that we weren't allowed to attend practices and didn't have the same type of access to the players. So everything was done through Zoom conferencing. Um, but it was clear very quickly that it, there was real value in being in the ring. There's just certain things you pick up there that you can't get at home on television. And whether it's just something away from the puck or a pregame routine or, um, you know, the way the, the lineup develops and warm up to all those little things that you take for granted when you go to as many hockey games as I do, but, but, but the type of details that we can provide to um, to, to the, uh, the audience that you wouldn't have been able to pick up if you were covering these games from home. So all in all, it was it was a tremendous experience, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. So did you uh, you didn't find it uh, <clears throat> too much of a deprivation? Uh, I know some people tend to find that kind of uh, isolation to be a negative, but uh, you, you found it to be positive? Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in nearby the rink. Obviously, didn't have a lot of time to spend with other people that were covering these games. Uh, the work was extremely demanding. But, um, yeah, I mean, all in all, I think the NHL did an incredible job. They, they really pulled this off. Uh, and we'll continue to pull it off, I believe. And, and it's it's a credit to not only the protocols that they put in place, but the dedication of the players, the people involved, to sacrifice being away from their families and and put on these games at the level that we that we took in. I mean, uh, I thought the games were just unbelievable. I understanding, of course, that a couple of them in this Philly Montreal series were a little bit boring because of the style of game that was that was being played uh, between both teams and how tight it was. But, you know, you, you just you can't take anything away from the players and what they did. It was, it was quite an exhibition to watch and feel very fortunate to have been uh, there alive and in the action. Uh, Matt, you had a question on that? So how do you think the next season is going to play out in regards to the bubble? You know what? It's, it's too soon to even speculate about how next season will go and obviously the NHL would like to make as many plans as possible and tentatively their schedule to start in December and in what format and what capacity is what needs to be discovered because who knows what's going to develop between now and then in terms of uh, you know like what's going to develop from a medical standpoint that would put everybody at ease to get fans back in buildings and have the teams travel to play the game to play a full 82 game season to what will develop from a government standpoint and policy um, you know there's there's just just speculate right now in August uh, about something that's not far off considering the times and how they've uh, how they've changed 
so rapidly over the last few months with the irresponsible and not silly. So I hope they can pull off the season. I have no clue in what capacity or way they're going to be able to do it. Um, but we'll see what develops over time, both medically and, and politically. And, and uh, you know, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Absolutely. I know that, you know, as a fan, obviously, you know, you want to be, you want to be happy to read it. I've, I've had just about enough of the, the fake crowd noises in the arena directly. Yeah, I can appreciate that. And I think everybody would like a return to normalcy one way or another, whether it relates to going to see a hockey game to just being able to be inside somewhere without, without concern that we're going to catch this deadly virus. Now, sticking with the medical, but something a little bit less uh, ominous, um, Brendan Gallagher's injuries. Uh, it, it was re- it, it was announced today by Bergevin that he had been playing with an injury, and that was pretty much expected. With the broken jaw and now with the to- the tear in his hip, how long did they did they give any indication, or is there is there going to be uh, a review uh, sometime in the near future for him? On the broken jaw, uh, was there any indication that he would have, in normal circumstances, been able to play through it with a bubble or, or with a full cage, or was he unable to play simply because he was taken out of the bubble? I really don't know. Um, it's a good question. It's a question more suited for Brendan. I know that all uh, all the options were looked at by the Canadians to even consider bringing in a surgeon into the bubble.
Now, on on uh, Bergevin's comments after the injury, um, there was a lot of chatter on social media that perhaps Bergevin should have uh, done, said enough to get a fine. What, in your opinion, would it have really made a difference for the players had he just lost his mind and gotten fined for saying what people were thinking? Yeah, I, I, I think I would. I think it would have served a negative purpose for the Canadians. You know, this is playoffs and you're facing elimination and the last thing you want to do is is start wrapping yourself up in something that's a distraction and I thought Bergevin handled his availability prior to game six exceptionally well. I think he set a measured tone and epitomized what he wanted to see from his team and focus that they were going to require to play um, a forgiven old game to save their season and I have a lot of respect for the way Mark dealt with that in terms of his measured comments regarding the league's division um, and even, even, you know, an emotional and aggravating situation comments that were made by L.A. and um, I don't think there was anything off base or out of bounds about what Bergevin said uh, in regards to Vito, and I don't, don't see the value in him going over the top with it either. I, I think, you know, he did exactly what he had to do. I think he, I think it was a respect for even Posting an availability um, prior to that game, he didn't have to say anything, and you know it is what it is. It's in the past now. That's fair. So, uh, so speaking of uh, Mark Bergevin, at his press conference, he brought up that uh, you know Carey Price, when he's healthy and he's rested, he's a very dominant goaltender. Uh, should we consider the acquisition of a quality backup to be among the top priorities for him this offseason? Yeah, I think it's unquestionable. You know, they, they tried to cut a corner with Keith Kincaid in the hope that Kincaid could um, get back to where he was two years ago versus last year. They knew it was a, a risk they were taking, but a calculated one on their behalf didn't work out. Um, they were able to close the book on that rather quickly, and unfortunately for not only Kincaid, but also for them in terms of what they were hoping to execute as a plan for, for prices use. Um, now moving forward, you know they they have a, an amazing opportunity based on what the market could be, and I assume that a number of school tenders that are potential free agents will get locked up between now and when they're and when the availability period begins. Um, but there will still be a fair amount of good school tenders available, and I think you know Mark Bergevin said he's willing to spend money and, and, and more money than would expect if it's the right fit. Um, and safety is an important part of the equation. You need a backup goaltender that respects his place in the dichotomy behind price, um, but also one that can step in for 20 to 30 games and, and win more than he loses. Um, it's a tall task, especially under the pressure of Montreal and the sporadic use you can get with price, uh, and, and especially when the, you know there's so much pressure to make the playoffs especially now that they've taken a step forward, but Canadians have to do their work and attract the right player here um, that can back up price properly. And who do you believe could be an ideal target for that position? Pardon me? And who do you believe could be an ideal target to fill that position? You know what? I, I It's a good question, and I don't want to... I don't want to... I'm... If you guys... I assume you follow my work for a little bit. I'm not 
huge on speculation. I'd like to be able to report something if I'm hearing it. Um, I think there's a number of viable candidates, especially given when you look at all you have to do is go to Cap Friendly and think about people might be available. Um, you know, of the candidates that are available, uh, the guys, maybe the guy at the top of the list in terms of filling all the criteria would be Anton Kudobin in Dallas. Uh, but, you know, given what Kudobin has done, he's probably looking at the possibility of signing uh, a deal that, that runs a bit longer than two years. And, Given what the Canadians have in their pipeline, with Jake Primo on his way up, I, I don't know how much of a commitment or how much term Bergevin is willing to get out on the deal. So, like I said, you know, I, I would always rather report the news than speculate as to what's going to be the case. I appreciate you guys asking because you want to know who they might be looking at, but I haven't heard as of right now who the candidates might be. All I know is that there's a lot of them based on what the marketplace could offer. No, um, Eric, you mentioned the, uh, the the flat cap. Do you feel that that's going to be a benefit for Bergevin in his future moves or his short-term moves? Uh, it, it should be. It should be, um, especially in relation to the other teams and what they're facing and, and where the opportunity might be to get some real high-end talent by giving up some future assets and the you know, we're talking about a team that has 14 picks in the upcoming draft, uh, including several in the second round, and a team that has one of the most uh, coveted prospect pools in the National Hockey League. But, you know, Mark was right to tread carefully in terms of what he said about cap space and how careful he has to be. He, he does have to be careful. He's going to be in a better spot than a lot of teams are. That's just, you know, he's got entire top line up for contract two years from now. He's got two business companies. I mean, he'll be his goal much of thunder of this, uh, of this playoff experience and, and establish themselves as stars in the making. And inevitably, um, as we see the trends that have gone for young players signing bigger deals coming out of any new level, um, he has to account for that as well. Jeff Petrie is a player that, if you look up and down the Canadian depth chart and what they have in terms of prospects, even though they're prospects are really good. Um, they don't have someone, and, and this is no slight on Josh Brook or Kale Curry, uh, they don't have someone coming on the right side that can immediately supplant what Petrie that they were losing. But that's a player to me that should be top priority for Mark Bergman, regardless of the fact that Petrie's 33 years old. Uh, you have to get him signed, and you have to be willing to swallow, giving him maybe a bit more turn than he would take to beat. So, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a very, very top priority. And then that stage, you know, your money gets spent, the cap taxes it out. I'm not even discounting the possibility that the cap could decrease over time. We, the, the future is so uncertain given coronavirus. So, you know, he has to carefully has to be smart. I asked him specifically if he felt that trade presents the best opportunity to improve his roster immediately. He said not necessarily. It depends if the player is and how much they make. All those factors. Um, but even that said, I do believe it does present that. You know, we know that building through the draft is essential. But if you're going to take advantage of what Gary Price and Jay Weber just showed you in these playoffs, and I think you guys would probably agree they were two of the best players in the playoffs, not just for the Canadians, but the whole team. Um, you know, they're not going to be that forever. Uh, I, I don't think they're, they're not going away. It's not going to happen overnight that they're that they're just suddenly going to turn into diminished versions of themselves. They clearly 
right at the top of their game and playing as well as they ever have. Um, but there is a window here, and, and uh, you know, first name was wise to be of the mindset to wait to pull the trigger uh, and to not go for a short-term fix based on what he was seeing during the regular season, but based on what he saw over this close to a month-long sample when the game scattered most, he has to see his team as a step or two ahead of where he might have thought they would have been if the season was ended in March. And uh, he's got to take advantage. He, he has to take advantage. It's an incredible opportunity he has to accelerate the reset that they marked on in 2018. And it's right there in front of them. Now, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, Eric. And Matt, you had a question about that, uh, that leap forward. So, regarding the leap forward, I believe the, uh, the playoff run for the Canadians was a positive one. Uh, just wondering about your, 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 uh, your input when it comes to, uh, the development of Suzuki and Kakiyemi in regards to how important this, uh, playoff was. Even though we all know that the Canadians likely wouldn't have been in the playoffs to begin with, but the fact that they were able to do so, how, uh, how big is this for their development moving forward this next season? It's like it's like skipping two grades. I mean, uh, these guys can't get better experience than they had, specifically, especially against Pittsburgh and playing against two of the best centers in the world and not and, and realizing what they could do in that situation uh, and with the pressure that they were under. Um, for Emmy specifically, uh, we all know how his season went to be able to come back and have this opportunity to take advantage of it the way he did. It's such a promising sign for the future of his career, but also for the Canadians. You know, I think the trends were there for Suzuki all along. You all knew that he was capable of being the type of player we're seeing right now. And, um, you know, he, he stepped up and proved it. And the fact that his game came up a level in the playoffs, the fact that we know that next year wasn't just there for his OHL career, but it's there now in his NHL career. It's going to propel him very much to, 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 the, to the top end of, of what he can be. And, you know, we're not talking about future uh, Connor McDavid or only on title type of game breaker in But if he can be a player like Ryan O'Reilly is, um, if he can be a player like I love O'Julian's comparison to David Krejci, I see a lot of the same attributes. There's smarts, the skill, the playoff ability uh, in terms of elevating this game. Um, it's all there, you know. Like he's going to be that maybe not the traditional top star, number one center, school spec, but the new school, 200 foot. Uh, you know, who, who do we consider to be the best? That you, we you might consider Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid to be the best player in the world. But more often than not, if you ask around the league, people would suggest that Patrick Bergeron is the best center in the world. So I think we're seeing a player in Nick Suzuki that's in that mold, Patrick Bergeron, David Krejci, uh, in terms of skill, and, and Ryan O'Reilly in terms of that two-way ability and, and impact come playoff time. And, you know, you, you look at how cores of teams are built. They're built up the middle. They're built with a uh, couple strong defense and a great goaltender. Now all of a sudden the Canadians have that. So as far as what this does in terms of accelerating their path, I think the evidence is right there in front of everybody. So have we maybe found a center that 
Jonathan Durant to play with. We, they showed quite a bit of chemistry in the final the final series, as they both they both uh, tied for the uh, team leader points. You know what? It's going to be up to Drouet. You know, Mark Bergman always says players make the decisions for you, and Jonathan Drouet, if he can play the way he started the season and the way he finished it, uh, specifically in the final two games, then uh, there's hope that he can fulfill much of the promise that, that was there when he was drafted third overall by Tampa. I, there's an inconsistency there that's been there that's undeniable. Um, there's times where I'm sure the fans are pulling out their hair watching him play, and there's times where they see him play like in those two elimination games and say, man, if that's, that's the guy they get moving forward, it, it solves one big problem that they have, or at least helps solve part of that problem. And, you know, Jonathan Drouet, for all the things that have been said about him, I've gotten to know him reasonably well. He loves hockey. He is a student of the game. He cares much more than people give him credit for. Uh, outside of Domi, I can't think of a player on the team that watches the sport more and tries to learn from other players. Um, it's all it's all inside for him. You know, he has to tap into the realization of how assertive he needs to be in order for his best attributes to come through, which are his speed and skill. And he needs to bring that on a consistent basis, which he has to be able to do some landing much at all. I thought he took a huge step the beginning of the season. I don't put much talk in what we saw from him when he returned from injury in a three-month playoff uh, during crunch time and a playoff uh, run that was going downhill that, you know, he was almost looked at as like he could save this thing. It was too much to ask for a guy who was playing through severe pain from that surgery even if he was rehabilitated and, and then, you know, sprained his ankle right away. Like, you know, I, I give him a pass for, for what we saw in those few weeks towards the end where he just couldn't make anything happen and like shell of himself. I there were times during the playoffs at the beginning where you know, I was I was less than convinced in what he was saying. But uh, you know the, the, the feeling he leaves everybody with is what he showed towards the end when he had to be implicated and had to make a difference and managed to. So let's see what the future holds for Jonathan Drouin because I really think his success is up to him at this stage of his career. Agreed. Now, Eric, uh, staying on that path, uh, Max Domi, uh, according to uh, Bergevin, did have a difficult playoff. Even though he showed us some flashes of his skill, uh, he, he wasn't able to put it all together on a consistent basis. What, what are your thoughts of what he's going to be facing moving forward? Is he going to stay... Uh, is he going to move to the wing and maybe augment that line or a bridge deal, anything. What are your thoughts? Um, well, to start with, let's, let's talk about what we know about Max Stone. He, he cares a lot. He's a passionate player, um, a player who plays on the edge, a player who's involved in the game, and a player who, I can guarantee you, his teammates love him. You know, he, and I know, because I've, I've spoken to a bunch of them about it. He, they, they love the guy, and they believe he can be a game-breaker. Um, but what we saw, I think, in the playoffs was a confluence of different things. One, that he got a late start, and that put him behind the eight ball. Two, that his late start put him on the outskirts of where he would need to be in the lineup in order to make a significant difference, and then the decay has moved into the 
know, four or five games, uh, it was hard to find a way to elevate him up the lineup without disrupting what they were getting on some of the other lines. So, you know, you, you have to incorporate that into the evaluation of what he brought. And then you have to look at the mental side of the game in terms of what that can do to a player's confidence. Um, I think it's fair, Max, Max's confidence wasn't where we've seen it at certain points over the last couple of years. Um, you know, certainly this season was an up-and-down season for him. He didn't produce this level of effect that I don't think anybody thought that he was coming back and scoring 28 balls and 72 points and everything is going perfect. Um, I, you know, I, 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 I look at the entire picture and his entire career. Do something that helps them get further along the line. 
Now, you, you mentioned Jake Furtanen. Um, that, that intrigues me. Not in that it's Jake Furtanen, but um, there's, it's fairly obvious the Canadians need size on the wings. Would that be a focus for Bergevin if he were to move forward? Not the primary one. Scoring is, you know, like you need an elite. You need some elite scoring. Uh, you know, for Cannon is is a maybe. Uh, look, at, I mentioned Winnipeg. Maybe a guy like Jack Roslovich is also a maybe, right? Like they, these two guys have the potential to be twenty goal scorers in the NHL. Um, they've even paced towards that. But you know, there's there's room to grow in both of their games, and both were pro- would probably welcome the change of scenery given the way they Continue on the, the the whole size issue. I mean, the Canadians did have Paling uh, waiting in the Black Aces, um, and then there was a lot of questions as to why he wasn't playing. I know Bergevin mentioned that it's a coach's choice, but uh, Matthias Brunet of La Presse came up with a, a a background stating that perhaps he had come into the camp a little out of shape or hadn't trained well enough. Can you confirm, or do you have any background on on that issue? Just this one gets to go to the right places. Same thing happened. 
not even remotely concerned about what Ryan Kaling is going to develop into as a player. Uh, he's got a good hat on his shoulders. He's a, he's a smart player. Uh, he's a dedicated player. He has abilities at both ends of the ice. And, you know, when the time comes for him to prove that he, uh, that he belongs in this lineup, he's going to have a heck of a competition to submit to. So, you know, the fans freaking out before every game. Why aren't they using him? I mean, like, to me, it was, it was a joke. I was really ridiculous, and, and even you know, I, I like Matthias a lot. Like, and I, I have respect for everybody that I work alongside. I get people that cover the Montreal Canadiens. You can't imagine how hard they work against what they are and how good they are at, at what they do. But you know, for the ones among us that thought that it was a big deal, and I think you know, they need a bit of a dose of perspective on, on where Ryan Kelly is in his career. He's a young player who went through the college system, and uh, he's a project. And, 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 yeah, you would have hoped that he'd arrive because he looks physically ready to play. Um, but there's a lot more than being physically ready to play to be a uh, consistent National Hockey League player. And uh, that process, we're still at the beginning of it with Ryan Bailing. It's not as if he's 26 years old. Now, it, obviously, development is key, and we saw that uh, Ber- uh, Bouchard had a hand in helping Kotniemi when he was sent back down. Um, I know development's also not a linear line. Do, do you see Paling going back to uh, Laval and continuing to improve? That's going to be up to Paling. Uh, you know, what's he going to show up like? What, what if this? I want to. I want to also mention. It's not as if there was no value in him being with the Canadians in the bubble here and seeing what goes into the preparation for these for these games and seeing his peers in Suzuki and Kakanyemi excel the way they did. Uh, there's plenty of value in that. And now let's see how he responds coming into camp uh, whenever that camp is, is held. I, I, he's a character guy, Barry. He's proven a lot already at a young age. It's not as if... Uh, not as if he's out of the cards here. He's going to be given a chance to earn his way into this roster. And if it takes a bit more time and he has to spend some time with Joel Bouchard, you can only help him. So it's a win-win situation for the Canadians. It certainly went to Ryan Bailey. And let's see how he responds to the challenge. This is a big challenge ahead. Okay, and uh, Matt, you had a question about uh, augmenting the uh, the scoring on the Canadians. Yeah. Uh, think uh, Taylor Hall be an option for the Canadians. Are we going to see Bergevin possibly go for a home run spot? It seems that uh, you know he missed out on uh, Jane, which I found, which I find that was uh, the right move is to uh, to not get him. Uh, what about Taylor Hall? Well, first of all, I wouldn't say that. It was a move on their behalf to not get in on Duchesne. They wanted to sign him. He didn't want to sign here. He ultimately wanted to sign at Nashville. Um, Taylor Hall, elite player, elite goal scorer, brings that ability. Um, you know, before we got to, uh, before before the pandemic overtook our lives and changed the entire dynamic of the system, I think we were looking at a player in Taylor Hall that was going to try to break the bank. You know, he saw what Barner got paid. He saw what Matthews got paid. He won a Hart Trophy. <laughs> I think 
Posted something today uh, before leaving the bubble, um, thanking all the fans for their support and in, in your several years of covering the team. Can you can you give us a little bit of a background on on how you started? Because uh, at one moment people didn't really know who you were, and then all of a sudden there you were at Sportsnet. I mean, we followed you from the beginning at at Hockey Buzz, but can you give us a bit of an idea of what you did? <laughs> I, I, I start, uh, you know, I, I had a passion and a dream to uh, I never had, I never necessarily believed that it would become a reality uh, until I started blogging a little bit and and uh, saw that there was interest in what I had to say, and and that kind of inspired some confidence to go out and pursue some opportunities, uh, or I should say create some opportunities that weren't necessarily available in the marketplace. And, you know, I was able to hone my craft, getting experience with Sirius XM Radio with DSN 690. I did an internship with Mitch Melnick. I got some blogging opportunities with Montreal Cadet and TV Montreal. Um, and I really just along the way built up a knowledge base in terms of how to do the job as a reporter and as a writer and as a television personality and a radio personality, and a radio host. And, and over time, you know, I while I was doing a number of different things before I landed with Sportsnet, I was working, you know, in a full-time capacity as a marketing sales director and, and pursuing this dream and trying to add layers of, of 
knowledge and um, experience. And uh, there was no job available to me at Sportsnet. I, I called them up and said, "You have a hole in Montreal, and I can fill it." Um, we went through our deliberations. It was a long time before I kind of heard from anybody, and, and understandably, I was wondering if, if this would ever happen. And then, um, you know, I got a call from from the people up top there, and they said, you know, we've been following your work for a while. We appreciate that you reached out a little while back and been getting your work. We think it's great. We'd like to hire you. And that's uh, basically when I left, you know, that's basically when this turned in. This turned from being a a full time pursuit, but not a full time job, to to a full time job. And uh, I, there's great value in the experience of coming from the bottom to wherever you guys consider me to be in the dichotomy here. Um, it's been an amazing experience, but I also really appreciate how much of a privilege it is to do this job. I know that it's a job that a lot of people in Quebec and around Canada grow up. Dreaming, having. Um, I grew up. I'm born and raised in Montreal, so to be able to do the job and make it uh, in this city where the competition is so incredible and so so hard to get through. Um, it's it's really been it's really been uh, such fulfilling and exciting work. And you know, the Canadian fans are are extremely demanding, not just the team. Um, but of the media, you guys certainly keep us honest. Uh, and I hope you guys appreciate and understand what kind of effort goes into the work that, that we deliver and the work that I try to deliver because I can promise you I put my heart into it uh, every single day and, and I work so hard to, to try to make it as best as it can possibly be and that's a constant pursuit of getting better um, and trying to be the best that I can possibly be. So. I, I have so much appreciation, and I always have so much appreciation for, for what I get to do and who I get to do it for. Um, specifically for Sportsnet, incredible company, and these hard times in an industry that's really challenged. Uh, they really stood by their employees, which I really, you know, warms my heart and, and obviously keeps me employed. And you know, I I love this, guys. Like this is this is I, this is lifetime of work that's coming into this and uh, I just want to keep doing it and doing it the best that I possibly can and and I, I thank the fans for their engagement and, and you know what the players in the NHL and the people around the NHL that I get to deal with are just incredible like, they're incredible people uh, I've built some unbelievable relationships with many of them uh, over the 13 years that I've been doing this job um, I think it showed at the beginning of the pandemic with, you know, there was there was no availability to the players. Yet. Um, I did, you know, about 10 exclusive interviews with members of the Canadians at that time. Yeah. I really appreciated them doing that for me. Um, it tells me that the relationships we built are strong um, and that they respect the work I do. And I don't think there's any bigger compliment I can get than that. So I, I just... I love this guy, and it, it, it means a lot to me. So I, I wanted to say thanks to the people that, that engage with my work and appreciate it. Well, Erica, we've, we've been 
doing what you started out doing as bloggers, and we know it's it's difficult to find that fine line between the day job and trying to hone your craft and chase your dream. But the work that you've done, I think I speak for both of us that it's been amazing, and we truly appreciate it. And the one thing that we wonder sometimes: Does John Lou help all you guys with your with your wardrobes? Uh, no, I'm not giving John Lou credit for that. He's great <laughs> on his own. So we have a stylist that sports that. Uh, her name is Deb Berman, and she uh, she's amazing. You know, I, I get to work with her once a year, and she helps. Uh, she helps choose all the stuff that we get to wear. It's probably one of the biggest perks of the job is the outfit for television. And to be able to work with someone like Deb who's been in the industry for so long. Um, you know, she's, she's pushed me beyond my comfort zone. I'm more of a conservative uh, dresser. Uh, definitely probably won't get to John Lou's status. I'll give him the, the title. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's a fun part of the job to be able to work with that. Well, Eric, uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and, and sharing some of your time with us and answering our questions. Uh, Matt, did you did you have anything else? No, I just wanted to say thanks. And, uh, you know, big fan of your work. Uh, keep up the great work, and I look forward to seeing what the future brings with, uh, with your articles, Sportsnet, uh, all your game coverage. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a privilege to have you on the show, and we definitely appreciate your time. It's much appreciated, guys. I hope you'll keep plugging away and keep pursuing whatever you're most passionate about and what you're interested in and what you love. And the rewards come from that. And um, it's, it's, I appreciate the kind words, and it's fun to be on with you guys. Good work. Well, thank you very much, Eric. Uh, for the last minute, we'll give it all to you. Is there any charities you'd like to plug or uh, uh, words of wisdom you'd like to share? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't have anything specific. I give to several different charities throughout the year. Um, one of them would be Israeli Cancer Research. You know, they've they've just done such incredible work and progress on a disease that kills more people than any other. Um, but obviously, there's a lot of people in need right now.
Well, Eric, thank you very much for doing this. And uh, we hope to get you back another time when uh, when you have a few moments again. And uh, again, from all of us at Habs Unfiltered, thank you. Support for Habs Unfiltered is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Big news! Manscaped just launched in Canada. For those listeners in Canada, you can be one of the first Canadians to experience their life-changing products. Myself, Treg, and Matt have all had trimming accidents. It happens. Every man has there's nothing to be ashamed of. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and have their new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The water-resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower. One of the coolest features is the LED light which illuminates grooming areas for closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded to a 7000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. If you're listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Trim that junk of yours. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code UNFILTERED20 at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. here at Habs Unfiltered would like to thank you, all of our listeners, old and new, for tuning in. Please click subscribe so that you never miss an episode of all of our shenanigans. And remember, if you are talking about it, so are we. Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. 
Jeff Woods and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.